As the Lord would work it out today after Christmas, we're going to study the Hebrew name of God, Jehovah Shema, which literally translated means the Lord is there. And you think about it, the incarnation, the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ coming to earth, being born of the Virgin Mary. I think about Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. It tells us that, behold, a virgin shall conceive of a child, and his name will be called Emmanuel, which translated means what, church family? Emmanuel means God is with us. That's exactly right. And so today we're going to look at this whole concept of God being present. And thank you, Danny, so much. Y'all may not have recognized that song we just sang, but the words and the doctrine of the theology of it are so commensurate with what I'll be sharing from the Word of God, talking about the presence of God and how God is with us. God is not against us. God loves us, and He is tabernacled with us in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ, when He took upon flesh and walked among us 2,000 years ago. And so our text is Ezekiel 48, 35, and I'm going to read it to you. And uh, are we going to have that on the screen or not, guys? Are we doing okay with the PowerPoint? It's black up here. You know, I can't see anything but these little TVs waving at me. Uh, Ezekiel 48, 35 is our text today, and I'll, I'll read it. Hopefully it will come up on the screens here. If not, you know what? We, we'll be okay. We'll preach without uh, the PowerPoint as long as we got power. Amen. That's good. Ezekiel 48, verse 35 is one passage of Scripture. We're going to look at it. And it's really a different sermon because I'm going to preach a message basically on the whole book of Ezekiel and just highlight and just focus on this one verse, Ezekiel 48, uh, 35. Okay, guys, I've stalled long enough. Are y'all going to have it on the screen or not? Oh, there it is. Amen. Are you going to put it on these screens? You're trying, okay, it doesn't matter if it's that. Oh, that's what's important. There it is, right there. Oh, man, I was looking for these screens, these, these guys up here, I tell you. All right, discombobulated here. Let me, let me get back here. All right, Ezekiel 48, 35 says, All the way around shall be 18,000 cubits. Now, a cubit is about the distance from the end of a man's finger to his forearm here, okay, about this 18 inches. All the way around shall be 18,000 cubits, and the name of the city from that day shall be called Jehovah Shema, the Lord is there. And as I said a moment ago, it reminds me so much of Matthew 1:23, where it says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Now, what I want to do today is I want to um, share a message about the presence of the Lord, and the way Ezekiel talks about it, this is a word of prophecy. He is prophesying a day, a place, John calls it the New Jerusalem, where the very presence of God, the very nature of God himself will tabernacle and be with mankind for all eternity, for as long as we can ever imagine or think Almighty God will be present with us. And Ezekiel prophesies about that day. Now, it may be in a while since you've read or studied the Old Testament prophet of Ezekiel, so let me take just a few minutes and unpack with you some of the historical context, the framework, the background of what is going on in the life of this prophet by the name of Ezekiel. Ezekiel was a man of God. He was a prophet of God. He, he was so discouraged in his spirit because of the spiritual climate uh, of Israel and of Judah. 
Uh, he was born around 622. He dies in 560. So you get the framework of when he served and when he ministered. Now, you remember that in 722, Israel is destroyed by the Assyrians and the, is, the capital of Samaria is destroyed. And then in 586, the Babylonians come in and they decimate and they destroy the, the temple of Jerusalem. And those are two very critical, pivotal dates in Old Testament history. And our prophet Ezekiel, he ministers in that latter period, in that 6th century period. Here's some more key dates for you to think about. First of all, 605. In 605 B.C., the Babylonians come in and they deport Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In 597, they come back in and they extract or deport more of the Israelis, more of the, of the people of Jerusalem. And Ezekiel is in this deportation. They take them off to Babylon. And then they come back one more time in 586, and that is, that is a huge date in the life of the Jews because that's the day that the temple fell and they entered into this Babylonian captivity of 70 years. And you're thinking, well, wait a minute, Brother Danny. Why would that happen? Why would God allow the holy city of Jerusalem to be decimated and to be destroyed and these pagan nations come in? And, and why would God allow that? Well, Ezekiel will tell you and Daniel will tell you and Isaiah and Jeremiah and all the prophets said that was not God's desire. That was not God's heart for pagan nations to come in and ransack and to destroy his, his land, his nation. You know what had happened? Is God's presence was no longer there. They basically had invited God to leave them through their sin and through their neglect, through their no longer keeping of the law, and so God is no longer with them. One of the saddest verses is this verse in Ezekiel. Listen to this, Ezekiel 33, 21. Ezekiel 33, 21. Is it behind me as well? Well, good deal. We'll just read it behind me together, all right, because I can't see it in the front, but I can see it back here. And it came to pass in the twelfth year of our captivity... In the tenth month, on the fifth day of the month, that one who had escaped from Jerusalem came to me and he said, guys, this is one of the saddest verses in all the Bible. The city of Jerusalem has been a capture. When you look at the book of Ezekiel, chapters 1 through 32, basically say Jehovah is no longer there. He is no longer with his people. But when you go to Ezekiel about 33 to the end of the chapter uh, 48, the end of the book, and then the, the whole nature of it changes from Jehovah is no longer there to now Jehovah is there. And what we have is this amazing prophecy of God. Ezekiel chapter 40 through 48 talks about a time when Jesus Christ, the Messiah, will come and he will reign from Jerusalem for a thousand years, and that is known as the millennial reign of Christ. But our verse today in verse 35, if you can fast forward in your mind and prophecy on your calendar, Look at it again, verse 35. All the way around, he's describing this new Jerusalem, and the name of the city shall be called from that day forward, the Lord is there, or Jehovah Shema. In Revelation chapter 21, let me read this to you by way of introduction, and y'all just bear with me because I'm, I'm going to have to turn around with you and read it. Revelation 21 says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city. What he saw, this new Jerusalem, is what Ezekiel saw in 48:35, and he describes it. This new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven from God. 
It is prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And, and I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, here it is, guys. Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And so John is prophesying what Ezekiel is prophesying. There's coming a day when Almighty God will tabernacle. He will be present with his people. He will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them, and he will be their God. And God, oh, don't you love this? And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no more cancer, come on, no more Alzheimer's, no more heart attacks, no more death, disease, or decay, none of those sorrowful things, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. There's coming a day when Almighty God reigns with His people. He is present with them there. Ezekiel calls it the Lord is there city. John calls it the new Jerusalem. Jehovah Shema, the Lord is there. Now, what I want to do today, oh, and I know it's kind of a long introduction, but I had to give you something of the background, of the history of what is going on in Ezekiel. What I want to do now is I want us to look at the difference between the Lord being there and when the Lord is not there. I tell you, I've seen this so many times in my life, whether it's in a life of an individual, whether it's in a marriage or a family or a church or a business and a corporation. I'm telling you guys, when God is honored, when God's presence is there, and, and you, can, you can sense it, it is conspicuous, it is palpable. I mean, the Lord is in someone's life. Oh, I'm telling you, there is a vast difference between when God is present and when God is no longer present. Some of you are here today and you're like, well, that's me. I, I don't honor God. God is not real in my life. And, and, and it shows, doesn't it? And you say, well, yes, it does. And that's why I came to church today because I don't come to church very often. I'm a, I'm a CEO kind of Christian. I'm a Christmas, Easter only kind of guy. I'm a poinsettia and a Lydia, uh, uh, you know, uh, Lily kind of guy. I come, you know, on Christmas and I come on Easter. I want to just tell you something. I'm thrilled that you're here today. I want you to sense within this preacher, I'm not here to beat you up and tell you how horrible and sinful you are. I'm here to tell you that God loves you, that God has created circumstances and he has orchestrated events so that someone would invite you and you would come to Great Hills Baptist Church on this day of December the 26th, 2010. We're about to go into a brand new year and, and something stirred within you and you came to church today and there's this loud preacher up there talking about how awesome it is when God is present, when God is real, and when God is uh, alive in your life. And I, what I want to do today is I want to just walk you through some differences between when God is present and when God is not present in a person's life. Number one. When God is not there, sin definitely abounds. There's a couple of verses here in Ezekiel 10, 18, 11, 23. Um, let, let's read those. It just talks about what happened to uh, the temple, what happened to the city of Jerusalem. Then the glory of the Lord left. Guys, that's one of the saddest verses in the Bible. The glory, the Shekinah, glory presence of God left the threshold of the temple and stood over the cherubim. Look at this next one in Ezekiel. And the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood on the mountain, which is on the east side of the city. Ezekiel has this vision. 
He sees God's presence, this glory. In this, in this vision, he sees the glory of God lifting up out of Jerusalem and, and ascending back into the heavens. And you say, well, why would God do that? Why would God withdraw his presence from his people? I'm going to tell you guys, the reason God withdraws his presence from his people, Israel, is the same reason that today, if you ever sense when you're walking with God and you do something that is wrong, you do something that's sinful, and you see, you just sense within you something is not right, and God withdraws his peace from you and his joy from you, that's what's happening here in the nation of Israel. Here's what one writer says as he describes it. He says, quote, they have treated father and mother without regard. They despise the holy things of God and profane the Sabbath. They practice sexual promiscuity. They took bribes and they oppressed the weak. Their political and religious leaders have not rebuked the people in their sin, but rather they have led them in the rebellion and their sin. And for their rebellion, listen to this, the Lord declares that he must bring judgment upon his people, and he does because sin has abound. I remember when I was pastoring in Virginia, I got a letter. And it was an interesting uh, return address. It was a letter from a man who was a member of our church, and yet he was serving at least 20-plus years incarcerated in a prison in a penitentiary there in Virginia. And he had committed the crimes. He had committed the egregious sins against his fellow man and against God. And for those sexual crimes he had committed, he was in prison. But, you know, a lot of times this happens. People go and they are incarcerated, and even though their bodies are incarcerated in prison, it's like God becomes real to them. And Jesus Christ became real to this man. He, he gave his life to the Lord. And even though uh, he had done wrong and he had sinned against God, God had forgiven him and cleansed him. And, and he had written me a letter, and within the letter was his tithe to our church. Now, it's not every day in the mail you get a letter from prison with money in it from the tithe from your church member. It's pretty interesting. And so I, I was reading that. He described some things that for him in prison. And this had happened just after 9-11, and he was sharing with me that when 9-11 happened, that the reaction to the inmates there in prison, he says it was unbelievable. He said there was, there was rejoicing. He said they were clapping. They were thrilled because America had been so attacked. Now, these are fellow Americans. And, and the man was writing me. He goes, Pastor, I don't, I don't understand this. How could people be so happy at our nation's greatest trial and tragedy? And, he, and I remember these words. He said, I've never been in the presence of such evil. And I got to think about that. Well, why is that? Why could somebody rejoice over 9-11? Why could somebody... And then it dawned on me that the darkest, the meanest, the cruelest place on earth is the heart of a man or a woman who does not know God. Would you agree with that? Isn't that the truth? That one of the darkest, cruelest, meanest places on earth. The Bible says, Jeremiah says, the heart of man is exceedingly wicked. Who can understand it? Who can describe the heart of man when it is alienated from God, separated from God, sin abounds? We do what we want to do. We go where we want to go. We say what we want to say. And God withdraws his presence from us, and we are left to ourselves, to our own shame and degradation. That's what happens when God is not there. Sin abounds. Number two, there's no peace. There's an absence of peace. You see it on the screen there? Amen. I do too. There it is back there. There's an absence of, of peace. You know, the people in Ezekiel's day, they... 
They lived a life of pleasure and neglect of God's Word and God's commandments. And you read, you read the prophets. The prophets, say, they cry out, Oh, Israel, come back to God. Oh, Israel, please don't, don't profane the Sabbath. Don't dishonor your mother and your father. Don't do like the pagan nations and, and marry multiple wives and spouses. Don't, don't do those things. Be cleansed, be holy, and, and be right with God. If not, then God withdraws his presence from us. And one of the things that go with that is God's peace, his tranquility, his, his amazing presence among us. You know, I'm, one of the books I'm trying to finish this year before a new year. I don't know if I'm going to make it, but it is it's one of the classic reads in Christendom, and it's Augustine's book called His Confessions. Augustine is arguably the greatest theologian who ever lived. He died in A.D. 430, but when you read his book, you read his autobiography, it's like you're reading something out of today's newspaper. He had a prodigious mind and an intellect. He was very successful as a as an instructor in, in rhetoric. And he was in his 30s, and he was just living life, and he was living a very sinful, promiscuous life. He had already had one child out of wedlock. And, and in Augustine writes in his book, he talks about how God came to him and changed him. He said, my mother, my godly mother, prayed for me over and over. She prayed that I would, my eyes would be open. And I would walk away from this life of lust and this life devoid of God's peace and presence. And I would invite Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior. He said, and I did. He said, it was the most awesome, grand. He said, God then that day became to me my sweetness. And here's his quote. Listen to this quote. He said, men's hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. Isn't that a great quote? Hearts are restless, O God. Until they find their rest in thee. He said, there's a, there's a God-sized shaped vacuum within the heart of every man and woman and boy and girl. And that vacuum can only be filled by the power and the presence and the peace of Almighty God. You may be here today. You may be like Augustine. You may be like Israel of old, and you're trying to seek pleasure in things of this world and the philosophies of this world and the religions of this world and the pleasures of this world. And what's so amazing about that is God allows you to do that. He's given you a free will, and you can dabble, and you can explore, and you can live a life of immorality and sinfulness and shame, and God will allow you to do that. But wouldn't you not agree with me? that the more you do that, you, you sense within you that there's this emptiness, there's this gnawing sense of shame and guilt, and you think, you know, is this the way I'm supposed to live? Is this the life that I've been consigned to, this life devoid of really any peace, any joy, any tranquility? And what you find is you, you get what you, what you asked for. You wanted that kind of life. But some of you are here today, and you're like, you know what? This life is not at all it's cracked up to be. Sin is pleasurable indeed for a season. But oh, that I just had peace. Peace with God and peace with my fellow man. Well, when God's not there, there is sin abounding and there is no peace. Next, there is no protection. God lifts his protective covering over Israel. And you see it in 1 Kings and 2 Kings. I just finished reading it in my quiet time the other day. And I tell you, the people sinned egregiously against God. There was a guy by the name of Manasseh. He was probably, along with Jeroboam, he was the most noted sinful king 
and all of Israel. And for 2 Kings 21, 5 and 6, I don't know if we have that verse, 21, 5 and 6. Oh, yes, we do. Oh, look at there. There it is. Now, this is the king of Israel, king of Jerusalem. His name is Manasseh. And you're going to ask, you're going to say, well, why was God so upset? Here's why God was upset. He built altars for all the hosts of heaven, and he put it in the temple. It would be like me, the pastor at Great Hills Baptist Church, going out and getting some Buddhist trinkets and Confucius gods and, and Hindu gods and putting them up here on the altar at Great Hills Baptist Church. He said, well, you just don't do that. That, that, that. That's wrong. And he did that. And he made his son pass through the fire. He allowed his sons to go through, and, and he sacrificed his sons to these false gods. He's the king of Israel doing this. And then he practiced soothsaying and witchcraft, and he consulted spiritists and mediums. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. That's 2 Kings 21. Now go just a couple of chapters ahead. And the Lord responded. Now watch what God does. He, he removes his presence. Now Ezekiel and Jeremiah and the prophets, they're saying, guys, this day is coming. Please be ready. And the Lord sent against him the Chaldeans, the Syrians, the Moabites, and the people of Ammon. He sent them against Judah to destroy it. Okay? According to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken by his servants, the prophets, surely at the commandment of the Lord, all of these things came upon Judah. God removed his protective barrier, his protective covering off of his nation, Israel. And when God removes his hand of blessing and covering and protection... I want to tell you guys, it gets ugly. It gets, it gets difficult. One writer put it this way, and I want to read her when she says, God had always been with Israel and Judah. He had always manifested his presence in one way or another. Yet for the most part, it seems, they took his presence for granted. They so took his presence for granted that they did not believe that God would do what he said he would do. They couldn't believe that he would depart that the presence of God would leave Jerusalem, God's earthly Zion, and be taken captive by the ungodly Babylonians, end of quote. But that's exactly what happened to Israel. Oh, Ezekiel knows this. He is prophesying. In 597, he is deported. He is taken out of Jerusalem, and he's taken over to Babylon, and he continues his ministry in Babylon. He's going, oh, Jerusalem. Please, there's still time. There's still hope. But they did not repent. They would not, re they would not quit doing what they were doing. And so God finally just lifted his hand of blessing and protection over them, off of them. And this is what happens when God lifts and when God's presence is no longer there. Oh, I've got one more, and, so, and it's called a lack of purpose. Sin abounds. There's no peace. There's no protection. And we lose our purpose. I want you to look at this. It says... When you look at the nation of, uh, of Israel, what's so fascinating as I, as I study it, uh, by the way, some of you are going, Brother Danny, uh, it's, it's Christmas. Would you lighten up? Would you, would you give us some good news? I mean, would you tell us about, oh, that's coming. Y'all just got to hang on. I'm talking to you right now about when God's not there. In a few moments, I want to talk to you about when God is there. And there's a vast, vast difference. But when God is not present in a nation, when God's not present in our homes, when God is not present in our lives, when God's not present, in, then there's, there's no purpose. I mean, we, 
we, we try to figure out, well, what am I doing meandering around? I've, I've lost my compass, my due north. I, 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 you know, I'm involved in these things, and it's God's, not a, God's not really part of my life, and, and we lose our, our purpose. It, this happened to Israel. When you read the life of the nation of Israel, all the way from Genesis to Malachi, you, you, you notice that God had ordained them. God had set them apart that they would be a light to the Gentile nations, that they would be a kingdom of priests, as Exodus 19 talks about. But what happened to Israel is they, they turned inward, and they said, you know what, let's focus on us, and let's don't focus on these pagan Gentile nations that are surrounding us. And guys, watch this. Every time, every time Israel, she would, she would depart from God, she would turn inward and insular and solitary, and they would look within, and they would forget that God had commissioned Israel to be a light to the nations and that they would know God and they would worship God and, and the Messiah would come through Israel and they would announce the glorious coming of the Messiah. But no, Israel said, we don't want to have anything to do with that. We would rather turn inward. I tell you, when I was in graduate school, one of the toughest assignments that I was given was in a homiletics class, and I had to trace the rhetorical development of preaching and homiletics during the Middle Ages. Some of y'all are going, whoa, brother, I'm glad you got that assignment, not me. I'll, I'll tell you something. It was awful. My church history professor said the Middle Ages or the Dark Ages were basically a thousand years without a bath, and that's, that's true. About A.D. 430 to about the 13th century, this was the lowest point of the church. This is when you had the popes and the papacies, and this is when the church, look at, look, look now, should have been missionary, should have been missional, should have been looking out into the nations. But what she did is she turned inward, and she become insular, and she becomes sinful within. And I'm telling you, church, do you know who was born in A.D. 570, right in the midst of this dark Middle Ages, a man by the name of Muhammad was born? And Muhammad came with great zeal. And I know, and I was reading his life history again just last night, I know he lived and died by the sword. He had multiple wives, and I know he was zealous for what he thought was right, and he went in amongst polytheism, and I mean, he cleaned house. I mean, he murdered people, and he, 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 I mean, he was a man of war. And you say, oh, that is so wrong. I want to tell you what's equally wrong is that we at the church of Jesus Christ, we were absolutely asleep. And on our watch, on the church's watch, Muhammad rises up with his religion of jihad and religion of war. I, I just want to go ahead and just tell you all something. The war's been on my heart. I can't wait to tell you this. I've got stars on it. I've got things... We must never become insular and isolated and say to Hades with the outside pagan nations and world, we at Great Hills Baptist Church, we're just going to focus on God and we're just going to focus on one another and we're going to have a quiet, cozy, comfortable time of it in Christianity and just let the world go to hell. We're not interested in those people out there. We're just going to be focused on us right here. Can I just tell you something right now? My dear brothers and sisters, that is absolutely, unequivocally, will never happen as long as I'm the pastor at Great Hills Baptist Church. We will always be looking out 
We will always be going on mission. We will always be saying, oh, nations, there is a God. His name is Jesus Christ, and we introduce him to you, and we want you to come to him and know him. I'm telling you, friends, I'm not into gazing at my navel and looking at you and me and how pretty and how religious we are. I'm more interested in us being missionary, evangelistic, missional, going out to the nations and inviting them to our great God. That's what God's called us to do. Woo, let me give you this quote here. Well, I couldn't wait to read this to you. The glory of God and the eternal destiny of millions demand that Great Hills Baptist Church become and remain a radiant church. You say, well, we're already a radiant church. No, we're not. But we're going to become one. I might die in the process, and you might pass out and faint, but we will... We will be outward and, and because I don't want us to lose our vision, lose our purpose. I, I tell you, that is one of the characteristics of God not being there. Okay, let me talk to you about some positive things. You're like, <laughs> brother, you about war us out. I tell you, Jerusalem's destroyed. Everything's going to Hades. I mean, God's not there. Well, well guys, you know, we, we need to talk about those things. We need to juxtapose when God is not there because it makes it all the more lovely and palpable when we can study when God is there. I talked about a millennial reign of Christ in Revelation 20 a moment ago, and I'm talking about Revelation 21 and 22, where Ezekiel 48, 35 comes to fruition. You say, well, I don't, I don't know about all that stuff and all that prophecy stuff and all these things you're talking about. Guys, it's real, and we need to study it. That's why we need to be students of the Word of God so that we can study and appreciate these truths from God. Okay, let me give you this. When God is there... Listen to this. When God is present, when God's amazing presence, he tabernacles with men, here's what happens. Let me, let me read this great quote to you. Ezekiel closes his great book by giving us the name of the new Jerusalem. Okay, we got that. One of the refrains in John's vision says, the Lord is there in this city. When the city descends from heaven... Okay, Revelation 21. John heard a voice saying, The tabernacle of God is with men. Ezekiel had seen God depart from the temple and the city of the earthly Jerusalem. Let me read that again. Ezekiel had seen God depart, we read that a moment ago, from the temple and the earthly city of Jerusalem. But now he closes with the assurance that in the new Jerusalem... Jehovah is there. I love that quote because it combines the interpretation and the prophecy of Ezekiel of old. It comes to John's revelation, prophecy in the New Testament, and then it culminates and it ends with this new Jerusalem, this new heaven and earth where God's presence... Listen, there's no sea. Sea involves turbulence and turmoil. There's no sea. There's not even any light there. Because the Lamb is the light. There is not even a temple there because the Lord Jesus Christ, the lovely reigning King, He is all the light. He is all the temple. He is all... Let me tell you something, friend. When God is present, that's all you need. And for eternity, for heaven, for in perpetuity, forever, aeons and aeons, glory to God, yes, He's there, He's present, He's real. But I want you to know something right now that here on planet Earth, God can be real 
and present. The transcendent God can become imminent and close to you and me and get us through this life. Let me, let me give you some good things here. Number one, when God is there, there is forgiveness and righteousness. Whoop, you see that? When God is there, you've got Ephesians 1, 7, 8, and 9. Let, let, let's read this. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward all of us in wisdom and in prudence. When God is there, there is forgiveness, there is righteousness. Don't you know it? You've seen it fleshed out in your own life. When, when, when God is in your home, when God is in your marriage, when God is in the process of raising your children, when you include God and his commandments and the Lord Jesus Christ, then I tell you, you just got this covering over you. You got this peace about you. You've got this forgiveness with you. The Bible says in John 1, 29, when John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he gives us peace and forgiveness and reconciliation. Number two is peace. When God is there, there is the presence of God that gives us his abiding, comforting, tranquility, peace of mind, peace of soul. I love Isaiah 26, 3. It says, You will keep us in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because we trust in you. Some of you here today, and man, you're, you're struggling, and you love God, and yet things, you know, things maybe aren't just going the exact way that you think they should go. And, and, and it's so strange. I mean, things are hard, and, and times are tough, and there are crises coming, but, but within all of that, you, you have this peace about you. You know, it was just Christmas Eve right after we left the service. I was on the phone with a dear friend of mine back in Arkansas at First Baptist Slovakia. Uh, his family was in a horrible automobile accident. Now, he wasn't with them, but he got the call, and he rushed to the scene, and the car was upside down. His wife was pinned underneath the car. Now, he's, he's seeing this. My good friend Jason is watching this on Christmas Eve. His wife is pinned underneath the car. His daughter has been thrown from the vehicle. He finds her separated from the vehicle. His dad is just bloodied up. And their, their young friend, Travis, which was, their, his, um, which was Ashley's boyfriend, he was in the seat there, and he's basically brain dead. They find that out on Christmas Eve. And I've been talking to him, and I've been praying with him, and it was so amazing. As I talked to Jason, he, he's not shaking his fist up to God, saying, God, I, I've loved you, and I've served you, and look what you've done to me. No, he's broken, he's crying, and he's weeping, but he's writing like things like this on his Facebook, and he's texting me, and he's saying, I don't understand, and I don't know what is going on, but I do know this, that God is still God. He's still in control, and I'm still going to serve him. You say, wow, how could a person do that? Well, when you walk with God and when you know God, when travail and trials and difficulties come, you realize just how sweet he really is. And he never departs from you and never leaves you. He gives you his peace. Reminds me of Jeffrey Bull. You may not recognize this name. Jeffrey Bull, for three years, was incarcerated by the Chinese government, the communist government. They tortured him, placed him in solitary confinement. And yet, in the midst of such a horrible three years of existence, this is what he said, and I quote him. He said, I had no Bible in my hand, no watch on my wrist, no pencil or paper in my pocket. There was no real hope of release. There was no real hope of life. 
There was no real possibility of reunion with those that I loved. The only reality was Jesus Christ. He was present. He was with me. Divested of all, he was to become everything to me. He was to break my bars and enlarge my coast in this narrow prison room. He was to be my fullest nourishment amidst my meager food. And that's what happens. When God is with us, there is forgiveness, there is peace, and there is next, there is protection. There is God's blessings and his prosperity. You see it on the screen there? There it is. God's protection and God's prosperity. God, I tell you guys, I, I've been around the block now just a couple of times. And I've seen this in, in all the churches that God's allowed me to, to serve, all the, the different places I've been and preached. There is such a calculated, fundamental demarcation, a line between a person who loves God and is serving God. It's just like God covers them and he protects them. And, and not that bad things never happen. I mean, bad things do happen. But in the midst of the crisis and the turmoil and the tribulation and the difficulty, God is still there. His presence is there. And he leads them and he leads us. God's protection and God's prosperity. That's one of the reasons why I love serving God, because I know that God, he, he cares and God's with us. That's one of the reasons I love giving my money to the Lord, tithes and offerings to the Lord. You say, well, who in their right mind would like to give their money, their hard-earned money, to some God they can't see and some church that's all corrupt and wicked? Why in the world anybody in their right mind do anything like that? Well, God says, trust me. Give me what is mine and watch what I do. I want to share this with you. This is free. You can just take it or leave it. Listen to this. When you tithe and when you bless and you give God his, you will be amazed at what he will protect you from. <laughs> that old heater just lasts a little longer. It's just amazing. That old car can drive a little. It's just amazing what God does, how he protects you and he covers you because he's present with you. The last thing I want to say is this. There is a fulfillment of purpose. You say, Brother Dan, if I didn't know better, I would think you are giving us just the antithesis of what you gave us in the first part of this sermon. And that's exactly right. Sin abounds, now grace abounds. There is no peace, now there is peace. There is no protection or covering, now there is protection or covering. There is no purpose, now there is purpose. What's the difference? The presence of God. The presence of God. Fulfillment of purpose. We don't meander around in life with no direction, with no compass. But when we're walking with the Lord... In the light of his word, what a glory. He shines on our way. He blesses us. He leads us. Well, listen to this good quote here. Dr. Ken Hemphill says, Why did God send Jesus into this world? He sent him to manifest his glory and his presence. God's glory, his powerful presence, is now to be manifest in us, his followers. You know, guys, that's what I was talking about earlier. I, I never want us to lose our, our purpose as a church. Our existence is that we are to be a radiant bride of Christ. We are to be walking with him in fellowship with him under the banner of his commandments and his imperatives. We, we love God. We, we walk with God in our families, in our individual lives, in our, in our corporate life as a church. And as we do this, ooh, 
as, as we do this, as we say, okay, God, we take the Great Commission seriously, and God, we take the Great Commandment seriously, and God, we love you. We don't want you separated from us, God. We want you real and present in our church. I'll tell you something, friend. Just because we are a church does not mean that God is present. I can take you all over this country. We can go to places even in this city where God is no longer there. And buddy, I'll tell you, you know it when you walk in. The music is dead. The preacher, he's about dead, and they're just going through the motions. I'm telling you, friend, we ain't going to go. That's bad grammar. This is good theology. We ain't going through no motions. We're going to be real. We're going to be transparent. We're going to want God's presence with us all the way that we go, and we're going to see God do awesome, great things through this church. Ooh, I just get excited. And y'all don't try to calm me down because I don't want it, all right? So, well, brother, once you get sophisticated and religious like me, you'll get rid of all that flamboyant, jumping up and down excitement. I don't want what you got. <laughs> you know, I'd rather have this. I want a hot, zealous heart for God. And I want to lead you to have a zealous heart for God so that we're focused on Him. When we don't lose our purpose, we don't lose our destiny, what God has gone. Ooh, let me share this with you real quick. There was a, a preacher called me just a couple weeks ago from um, Arkansas, uh, First Baptist Church of Springdale, Arkansas. Y'all know Ronnie Floyd? Man, I love that guy. He talked to me for 20 minutes. He said, I'm going to tell you something. Let me tell you why Great Hills Baptist Church is going to do great things. I thought, wow. <sighs> One more. Hold on. He said, I said, why? He said, here's why. Because God has invested way too much in her for her to fail. I thought, wow, that's a good word. And I believe God's, God's inspiration and our perspiration and God's presence and his favor upon us. And I'll tell you guys, I don't, it's just going to be awesome. I mean, can you see these, these dead bones coming together and, you know, in Ezekiel's uh, a prophecy, and this, and, and God puts the sinew and the flesh upon them, and His presence is all over them, and and, and they are marching now. They're an army now, and they they're under the banner of Jesus Christ, and they understand clearly their mandate, their missional imperative, and they and we go out. I was reading a, uh, an excerpt from a book of a friend of mine wrote. His name is Steve Gaines, and he wrote a book entitled "When God Comes to Church." Listen to this. Well, this is really good. I can't, I can't share this with you. When God comes to church, people come in half asleep on Sunday morning. They expect to do the typical routine. They'll skim through their bulletins, sing some songs, bow their heads for prayer, put a dollar in the offering, listen to the sermon, wave hello to their friends in the lobby afterward, and then head for the restaurant. But what if God showed up? What if they got more than they bargained for? What if their little religious ritual was interrupted by the manifest presence of God? Now you're talking. That's, that's, they'd go out saying, wow, I thought I was just going to church for another boring service, but it turned out that the Lord was there. This was the gate that led to heaven because people found out about Jesus at my church. That's, that's what I want us to be about. I want us to be, now listen to me, I'm, I'm almost done. Some of you are going, well, good, preacher. 
He about wore me out. I just thought we talked about little baby Jesus, you know, lying in a manger, amen, and happy, peaceful times. And you're up there talking about when God's not there. This, the reason I'm preaching this is simply because in many of your lives, God is not there. He's not present in your marriage, and it looks like it. It stinketh, you say. He's not present in your morals and your ethics and your behavior, and you're living this duplicitous, sinful life. You know better, but you're doing something different. And when I talked a minute ago about God withdrawing his sweet peace and his joy and, and, that, and the vivaciousness of living, you're like, well, you're speaking to me. But well, what am I to do about it? And God says, come into me. Come to me, and I will restore you. I will forgive you. I will energize you. You say, well, what, what do I have to do? And here's what you have to do. You just have to say, God, I'm sorry. Lord, I, I've been doing things that I know are wrong. And Lord, if my grandmother were alive, she'd, I mean, she'd spank me. She'd whip me upside the head because I know I'm doing things that, that I should not do. And so you come to God today and say, God, ooh, listen to this, listen to this. God, I've lived long enough without your presence. Now I think I'm about ready to live in your presence. Oh, you see? And then God says, well, what took you so long? I've been waiting on you. I'm ready to forgive you. I'm ready to cleanse you. I'm ready to restore you. Because I'm telling you, there is a difference when Jehovah Shema is there and when the Lord is not there. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me and close your eyes. I, I thank you for letting me just share my heart with you today and just preach on the name of Jehovah, this name Shema. The Lord is present. The Lord is here. I'm so grateful that he is here. I'm so thrilled at what I see God doing at Great Hills Baptist Church, stirring the slumbering cords again. I see God touching us and, and, and reviving us and, and us being enthusiastic again with the things of God. And I... You may be here today and say, well, preacher, that's the kind of church I'm looking for. I, I want a church like that. Well, I want to tell you something. We're not perfect, but by God's grace, we are going to pursue him with passion, with zeal, with knowledge, and we invite you to come and you be a part of us. And you come and you let us just talk to you and encourage you and equip you and tell you how you can become a part of our church. That would be awesome. But let me tell you something even more awesome. Your heads bow with your eyes closed as if nobody else is in this room you would have a heart to heart conversation with your creator and you would just be very confessional and you would just tell him that you are indeed sorry and that you more than anything else you, you want to be reunited with him maybe there was a time in your life where you were zealous and you were enthusiastic about the things of God Somebody said, you know, if you ever feel like uh, there's a distance between you and your relationship with God, guess who moved? It wasn't the Lord. You will find him right where you left him. And he's inviting you today, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you peace. I will give you purpose. I will give you protection. I will give you all those things that your emaciated, thirsty soul, soul desires. And so today... Well, wouldn't it be awesome on the day after Christmas that God showed up in church and he spoke to you and he drew you back into intimacy and a relationship with him. Some of you are here today and you, uh, you're as lost as a ball in tall weeds. I, I tell you, you're just, you're just not there. 
I mean, you, you are that discordant note in the symphony, I mean, off, way off on your own journey. And yet you heard the gospel today. You heard about the presence of God, and God is now drawing you. You may be from a, I mean, you may be coming from a, I mean, a totally different background, and yet you can't explain it. But you know that there is something deep within your heart. There is something stirring there. I can tell you, friend, on the basis of God's holy word, he, he's speaking to you and he's drawing you to a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. Father, thank you today for your word. Thank you, Lord, that I thank you for people like Ezekiel of old. God's so bold and brave, and yet, Lord, they shared the message, the, the prophetic word, that even though God is a God of judgment, he is a God of wrath indeed, and he will punish sin. You're also a God of love and justice and mercy and kindness and compassion, and you will forgive us of our sins. So, Lord, today we are going to stand up in your presence, and we're just going to commit our lives to you afresh and anew as a congregation. But, Lord, also I pray that there will be men and women and teenagers and single adults and married folks and boys and girls. God in heaven, I pray that they would yield themselves to you today and they would say, Lord in heaven, I give you my life. I want to serve you. I want your peace, God. I want to know you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's all stand up to our feet. God bless you as you stand. And Brother Danny, you lead us.